Good morning, good evening, wherever you are across the world and the universe. Welcome to Quantum Living, a mysterious dimension at the intersection of science and spirituality, where anything can happen. I'm your host, Anna Anderson. Thank you for joining me on this quantum journey as I continue lifting the veil of other dimensions and realities to make them a part of our life. As always, please take away from the show only what resonates with you and discard the rest or put it aside for later. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Okay, let's begin. Hello and welcome to yet another fascinating episode of Quantum Living. Do you like binging? (laughs) Binging is a period of intense indulgence in an activity that gives you great pleasure, such as eating, drinking, watching the whole series of your favorite movie in one go, or listening to a podcast that covers a multitude of your favorite, strange, paranormal and spooky topics in one conversation. So, if you like binging, you are in for a treat. When I was deciding on the title of today's episode, the only title in my mind that would do justice to this conversation is Down the Rabbit Hole, which I think says it all. So, let's go there. My special guest today is Saul Ravencraft. Saul is an executive occultist who provides diversion and escape for people with demonstrations of mind powers, strange tales and weird artifacts. He tells fortunes and is a true believer in the power of intention. He is a magical practitioner and a devotee to elemental powers and the seven principles of the Kabbalion. He is also a co-host of the Witch Hat Chats podcast. Saul has a unique perspective on the metaphysical. Wanting to disprove it, he went way down the rabbit hole from which, as we all know, there is no return. Turning from pessimist to practitioner, he has dived into divination, ritual magic and paranormal phenomena of all sorts which he will tell us all about as he joins me now from Austin, Texas. Hello, so welcome to Quantum Living. Thank you so much, Anna. I am very glad to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. I can't wait to start our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, let's dive right into it because we've got so much to talk about. Could you share with us a bit of your personal journey? that led you onto this unusual and strange and wonderful path. Oh, my word. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny that you're using my favorite phrase, down the rabbit hole, because that's really the way I describe it. Uh, and if you've read the original uh, story of Alice uh, by Lewis Carroll, mm. you notice that she's, she's a little bratty. <laughs> in the beginning. And it takes a number of extraordinary circumstances to give her a different perspective, uh, where she is sharing her own understanding of etiquette and wisdom with people who I think we can say are are quite mad. Uh, And 
when she comes back from that journey, she is transformed. Her trip down the rabbit hole has made her a different person and ultimately a more responsible person. And I think that's really what happened with me. Uh, I was raised very disbelieving. I loved the paranormal. I loved, I when I was a kid, I watched In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy on television, that wonderful little anthology series that covered all the weird stuff that was going on. I loved tabloids like the Weekly World News, which isn't around anymore, and stories about Bat Boy and <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, I, uh, I discovered the 100s section of the Dewey Decimal System in my public library when I was in elementary school. Uh, I read Chariot of the Gods when I was in the fifth grade. All right. I was fascinated by all this stuff. I loved all this stuff, but I didn't really believe in it. it. It was fun to be entertained by that. It was fun to be exploring those things, but it wasn't necessarily something that you were supposed to take seriously. Uh, and so ultimately, I, I didn't really. And if you were to describe me many years ago, before I began this journey, I would say that I was a skeptic with a capital S, uh, and that I was I was much more interested in debunking and showing how clever I was than really exploring these ideas. Um, and then the strange events happen. Uh, and I'd like to say that I was struck by lightning or, or you know, hit on the head or, or had some sort of a, a ghost encounter that changed everything. But honestly, what happened was I started doing research. Gasp. <laughs> I, I just started learning things. And my reasoning for this was I uh, dealt with areas of, of mystery entertainment and, and theater that was around magical ideas. And I thought, yeah, let me let me see if I can dig into magical lore, understand what people believe about this stuff, even though it's all garbage, uh, and and I will I will be able to incorporate these ideas into what I'm doing, so that it will connect with people, even though they don't know why because these things do have resonance. So it was totally cultural appropriation. It's, it's what I was doing. <laughs> Purposeful cultural appropriation. I was legitimately trying to steal this stuff for my own nefarious purposes, um, uh, to accumulate wealth, hopefully. And, Whoops. <laughs> and what, what happened was as I went along, first I kept coming across things that I went, huh, that kind of makes sense. And I go, no, 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 no. Uh, you're, you're, you're starting to, to get affected by this ridiculous superstition. Uh, we must fix it. We will apply science. And so uh, I took divination. I started with numerology because numbers, right? Uh, numbers, numbers are good. Uh, especially if you're skeptical. And I started looking at numbers and numerology. I didn't go to the skeptic's guide to numerology. I went and found what I felt was a, a sincere book on numerology that discussed in a way that I felt was reasonably trying to express their understanding. Right. So 
I sat down and I started working with this and immediately I saw some things about numbers, my name, the way I was using my name uh, that made me flinch because at that point I was really arrogant. I was really driven about things and some of what I saw in those numbers were things that were uncomfortable about myself. And I recognized that maybe I should make a few changes in how I was dealing with all of that. And I, I did. The next day, I made changes. And it, uh, it caught me off guard uh, because it was, it was weird that it affected me that way. And so then I started to explore the other ideas mixed up in these things, other forms of divination, uh, other kinds of practices and and magical things and I started to explore those and stuff kind of started to happen my real gateway was a friend of mine Joe Vitale recommended that I read his book The mm-hmm. Secret that's not his yeah. book but he's very well represented in it and mm-hmm. uh, that that got interesting to me and I started applying some of that thinking and things started to happen but then it started to expand outwards, and I had a friend of mine who uh, is a, a hereditary Italian witch, um, and we were friends in spite of that uh, because we <laughs> we didn't let that bother us. Uh, I don't think I was ever mean about other people's uh, idiocy and superstition, mm-hmm. the way I thought of it. There, uh, it, it was it was amusing to me. Um, and so, so I don't think I ever really was, was that much of a jerk about it. Uh, but she sat me down one time. She said, uh, you, you are doing things uh-huh. and uh, you probably need to start doing them on purpose or someone is going to get hurt. I said, well, no, I'm not. And she said, oh, and she started going through this little list of things that had happened that appeared to be the direct results of my applied will things in your life or someone else not not well yeah well the the overlap that people were being influenced by my will okay i was i was working magic unintentionally uh and and i i argued at first but then when she started going through things i went oh okay yeah hmm all right and started to look at it again with another perspective. Okay, maybe I am doing things, which means that this isn't as ridiculous as I thought. And I do see this. So what if I did try to do it on purpose? Uh, and, and so that was another shift in my thinking. And then as that progressed and I started to take this on, uh, people started to point to me. Uh, whatever the the witchy equivalent of gaydar started going off for people. <laughs> and they started ah. recognizing this mm-hmm. in me. I was talking to someone and and uh, clearly uh, uh, a deep practitioner. And as we're talking, he said, well, you are you are obviously a powerful wizard. I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't think, well, that's what was going on in my brain. Uh, yeah. But I just, I nodded uh, and, and didn't say anything. And I would show up at things accidentally that ended up being like pagans night out in the area where they'd all go gather at a pub and someone would, I would recognize someone there and they would point to me and they go, Hey, and I go, no, like really? <laughs> and, and I, I, I started realizing that unwittingly, for whatever reason, that I was, I was manifesting, and and that it wasn't ridiculous, and I I decided to own it, and mm. then everything changed. As soon as I acknowledged and accepted it, a lot of things began to shift around, and one of those things was my corporate gig got ripped out from under me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and it wasn't it wasn't the the you know people saw oh we see you're doing this weird stuff over there it was nothing like that it was that the universe seemed to just shove me into this corner where it was impossible for me to continue and and I lost my situation and I thought okay well I'll just slide sideways that's what's always happened in the past but it didn't So I had to I had to fall back on other things. And one of the the places in Austin was the Museum of of the Weird and uh which is is a wonderful place, it's a fun place and I I was involved with them for several years after this initial connection. But I went down and I began giving tours and I began exploring some of the entertainment side of what I do, uh, playing what I call intuition games, tapping into mind connection and that sort of thing. Uh, divination was involved, uh, uh, artifacts and just, just getting people to enjoy these ideas of the weird stuff, uh, at least the way that I used to before I found out it's all real. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Oh. And and that that has become the center now. And I still use technology, but I use it for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that aspect of my life is closed, and I am now the executive occultist. Now you may be wondering exactly what in the world that means. I'm guessing your listeners are. Yes. It sounds a little silly, and it is. You're reading my mind, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that all the way across the world. Okay. Uh, so, so executive occultist, I played with a lot of different ways to try and explain what it is that I'm trying to do. Because I am really trying to create theatrically, when I do performances, the context for people to open up the way that I did. Uh, to to find a way to connect with their subconscious and their imagination to say what if. One of my favorite authors is Terry Pratchett, British author that wrote uh, all these books, fantasy books, um, about a realm he called Discworld. And the characters are crazy. There are witches. There are wizards. 
uh, there, there are vampires and there are gods and, and one of his characters is death. And there is a wonderful story called the hog father, which is all about myth, the purpose of mythology, why we need it, what it does for it and why we need the boogeyman. And there's a line in there that death says, where he says, you must believe in things that are not true. Otherwise, how can you bring mm. them to be? Okay. And I think that is such an important and powerful thing and something that our current culture is losing. We, we don't seem to be doing anything but, but reboot movies now. Yes, which is the underlying theme or the underlying principle behind quantum manifestation with the thoughts and emotions. So believing right. is the underlying principle. Is it possible, apart from the movie, Alice in Wonderland, is it really possible, in, in your view, to escape from the rabbit hole once you get in there? Yes and no. Um, because what is seen cannot be unseen. What is known cannot be unknown. But humans are really, really good at reframing things. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> right? Mm. And I think that if someone is terrified and unwilling to accept what it is that they discover down the rabbit hole, mm -hmm. that they absolutely can reframe it and can distract themselves and can shut it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I say that as someone who came from the other side of it. One thing that's interesting to me, a uh, little, little peek behind the scenes, you were getting a little disturbance uh, around you before we began our conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, you had to tell the spirits to hush. And I know a lot of people who have had their own version of going down the rabbit hole that have that sort of thing. Uh, and they they came into this at a very early age, and they had to figure out ways to discipline it and control it. And some of them never figure that out. I've talked to some that go, yes, they, they wake me up at three in the morning to tell me things. I'm like, well, tell them not to do that. Mm. Tell them you have office hours. <laughs> it don't bother you unless it's really, really urgent. Yes. Talk to you in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you can do that, mm. but you have to figure out how to do that. Now, I came into it from the completely opposite direction. The way that I was raised, I think I was raised with my shields up. And I think a vast number of people in our culture are raised with their shields up. Mm. And it wasn't until somebody pointed out to me that I was breaking through some of that that I purposefully tried to break through those shields myself. Mm. And so my natural state, I believe, is shielded. And I have to purposefully lower those shields when I'm going to open up, when I'm going to connect. So I don't necessarily have the daily experience that some people do of walking down the street and going, okay, there's a ghost, there's a ghost, <laughs> there's a thing. And, and it's not that I don't believe that other people experience that. I know that they do. Mm. But that is not an easy experience for me to have because my shields are thick and well-placed. 
Now, I do engage in mediumistic functions. I do have situations when I connect. I certainly do magic. But I have to do it on purpose. And on your own terms. Right, right. And, and it's evolving. There, there are things that, that I see, things that I experience that I didn't used to. Uh, and so I consider it uh, an evolution that's going to continue to happen. But it makes me a little bit of, the, uh, of an oddball in the witchy and the paranormal community uh, because I'm not, I'm not always all woo-woo about things. But it also makes me an excellent person when I'm talking to people. Um, I, I consider myself a sort of a gateway mystic, that I'm the person that someone will come up to who is skeptical, uh, who feels like they want to talk about something, but they – can't talk to any of these weirdos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they mm-hmm. they need someone who can understand that this is unusual and uncomfortable for them mm-hmm. and who isn't going to rag on them about it. Now you and I know that pretty much any practitioner who that they go up to is not going to insult them and make fun of them and push on them. But they don't know that because they know what they would do. <laughs> Right. Yes. And somehow I give off that vibe uh, that, that makes some of those people comfortable. And so I have a lot of people that walk up to me and go, I, I want to ask you a stupid question. Uh, and and they they talk to me about what it is that they're experiencing, thinking, wondering. And we get into it a little bit. And I, uh, I suggest a few books and a few movies and things like that for them to go play with, say, uh, come back to me. Uh, I mean, to give you an idea, uh, the the calling card that I use now, I don't like to call it a business card, but I redesigned a get out of hell free card uh, based on the Monopoly game. And it's got a little caricature I drew of me and it says, get out of hell free. This card may be kept until needed or sold, uh, courtesy of Salt Ravencraft, executive occultist. Uh, and so executive occultist grew out of this need to have the intrigue, but be able to have a little bit of the tongue in cheek. And there is a British comedian named Eddie Izzard, who is trans. And um, he has come out recently as full on trans, but several years ago, 10, maybe 15 years ago, even he did a show where he first came out dolled up. It was a tasteful pantsuit with a very glittery top and and some simple makeup. Uh, But he came out. He's very, very funny. And right at the beginning of the show, he acknowledged that he might not look the way people expected. (laughs) And he said he was a transvestite, but he was an executive transvestite. Not one of those weirdo transvestites. (laughs) He was flying first class, raising the bar, and, Mm. uh, and trying to make... Uh, everyone is comfortable as uh, as he can. And as I was talking to someone and that came up as a joke. Well, you're you're more like an executive occultist, not one of those weirdo <laughs> occultists. And we laughed. And then I said, wait a minute. <laughs> it's actually not bad. Learn more about quantum living a cutting-edge approach to self-empowerment and emotional freedom at the intersection of science and spirituality. 
It is the master key to understanding how life works and gives you many tools and strategies to change your life experiences. Whether dealing with emotional addictions, relationship issues, self-sabotage blocking the progress and achievement in your life, or any other challenge, quantum living is the space you want to be in. My quantum living coaching program is as psychological, spiritual, and esoteric as it is educational and practical. In the advanced stage of the program, I will take you on a quantum soul journey in a deep theta state to other dimensions and realities, which is an amazing and profound experience. I also invite you to sign up for Quantum Talk, my free monthly newsletter with a blog, updates and special offers. When you do, you will instantly receive a download copy of my book, The Seven Keys to Quantum Communication, absolutely free. To book your free diagnostic session and receive your free book, visit quantumliving.com.au today. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, it's got a really nice ring to it. And speaking of people coming up to you and sharing their experiences, seeking perhaps some advice, this is an important difference between someone who would just listen and say, well, I'm sorry, but I don't have an answer or or will even ridicule the person, even if they are involved in, quote unquote, the other side, but have no ability to bridge those two dimensions. So the difference is for someone to have one foot in this world and the other foot in the other worlds or dimensions and have the capacity, very similar to to a coach, to with compassion, with understanding, with no judgment, to help and guide the person on their own path so that they can find the answers by themselves because that's what needs to happen for us to process the new knowledge and information and accept it as opposed to someone tells us, oh, yeah, this is the way it is. Well, because you say so. (laughs) So the quality that I am picking up in you is precisely that. You have this, uh, if you like, coaching quality between the two worlds to bridge them and say, and be able to say to someone, well, there's nothing wrong with you. You are not a weirdo. You are simply opening up to see things that we don't normally see. And this is a normal process, and you can go through this at your own pace. Right. And, and furthermore, how do we turn it to your advantage? Mm. Now that you're here, what are you going to do with this? You can, you can try to shove it back into the bottle if you want to. Or you could you could connect with this and you could use it and and you could have more fun in your life by by not trying to remove all the mysteries. Mm. Yes. And when when I first came across this idea, once once I got convinced that I was dealing with real things. And one of the ways that manifested was people started just telling me stories out of the blue, mm. just started sharing. I was in China and the bartender told me a story about his dead father out of the blue. Mm. 
and ask me what I thought that meant. <laughs> and and I was I As was you do. <laughs> in my corporate gig, right? I, mm-hmm. I that was the last thing in the world, but that was one of those alarming <laughs> things that went, "Oh my god, what is happening to me?" And ultimately, when I noticed that people were coming up and they were asking me questions, my upraising was essentially secular Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, not not Catholicism or something like that where we have deep minute mem- uh, where we have deep mysteries, but that sort of uh, pragmatic approach that seems to be so popular today. Uh, yes, there were miracles, but they happened way back then. <laughs> uh, you need to you just need to give money. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yet when, when I started having these experiences with people and people asking me sincerely for input, the first idea that I related to was ministry that somehow by accepting this myself and being in front of people to some degree with it, that I had essentially become a sort of a minister, a sort of an apostle and I couldn't just blow them off. I had to be sincere with him. I had to be open with him. And I had to give them my best shot. Mm, absolutely. And in fact, when as you were speaking, as you were recounting that story, I received an insight from the spirit, as I sure, do. Sure. Because that's because you are an ambassador. You are one of the ambassadors of people who are quote-unquote, appointed as ambassadors of the other side, bridging the two worlds. So I'm just getting chills now, which is a confirmation of that it came from the spirit. Yes. You are an ambassador. How does it resonate with you? I, I agree with that. I think that's a good word. Advocate is a word that, that comes up for me sometimes. I, I just, I recognize that because of who I am, and how this has entered into my life, I don't have the I don't have the convenience of being able to just go hide myself away and and yes. just do my own thing <laughs> and and be separated from the potential for ridicule uh, or even anger that comes out of that. Uh, that that I have to let myself be out there. Um, and one of the ways that I do that is I use fun and humor and fantasy and, and all of those kinds of things. You you said that you are a big fan of Harry Potter. I am as well. Mm, uh, I absolutely. came into those books pretty late in my life. Um, but uh, they were, uh, of course, they hadn't been written when I was a kid. So uh, I had to come into them. But I remember the excitement of all of that. And while... I disagree with Rowling's perspective that one is born a witch or a wizard. Uh, I, I think, well, I think it's true, but I think it's true for everybody. We are all born witches and wizards and uh, we, a- anybody can do it if they decide to, to some degree. Whereas in her universe, if you don't, if you don't have the midichlorians or whatever they call it, <laughs> that give you the force, then you're just you're just out of luck. Um, and I, 
I like a lot of the fantastic aspects of her universe. I like the ideas of honor and defense of the weak and, and courage and, and knowledge and all of those things that she presents as being good virtues in those stories. I also like the fact that evil is not easily defeated. And even if you defeat evil, good people get hurt. It's it's not a cartoonish kind of thing where everything is fine and everybody lives happily ever after. Uh, the, there is sacrifice in order to win in her universe. And I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. Um, but at the same time, I find that a lot of people, they're interested in these ideas, but they, they can't take it on. If, if it's too woo-woo, they... They feel silly about it. Or frightened. Right? Frightened, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of negative things that can kick in, but as long as they can enjoy that playful side until they resonate with it, then some some fantasy, some theater around it uh, does that. And I had a, I had a performing background. Um, I've always been involved in, in theater and things like that. And so... I took the kinds of variety performance that I used to do and started creating gray areas mm -hmm. in there where, okay, I do some stuff that is using techniques from uh, psychology and hypnosis and just pure storytelling and all of that. But I'm also leaving a doorway open for connection mm -hmm. because uh, instead of trying to, to, uh, to create everything, so that, that it's predictable, I leave some gray there because sometimes some really extraordinary things happen. Yes. And since it's theatrical, people are moving themselves into open mode. Uh, that's what we do. Uh, we, we engage in a level of trance when we get into storytelling or theater or just entertainment that is fun for us. And that what if part fires off and that's where magic comes from. Absolutely. I would like to add to it one additional ingredient, and that is what I believe is also at play here is what we call ancestral DNA. There is a seed of this sort of capacity that we carry over from in one incarnation to the next as a soul. And perhaps an evidence for this is when you do past life regression or you have memories of your past lives, when you can see a pattern of lives in that space, in that dimension. So for example, I remember I was, I was a witch across many lifetimes, an astrologer, wizard, herbalist, medicine woman. So there is a pattern in our soul journey of these capacities, which is like basically a gene that is less dormant than in other people that can be easily or more easily activated. What do you think? I don't disagree with that. I, that, that makes sense to me. 
um, the, the way I say it is anyone can throw a ball. You may not be able to do it with any speed or accuracy, but you can take a ball in your hand and you can get it over there <laughs> on some level. Uh, and to me, I think it's important. I, I talk to a lot of people, especially as I become involved more in the metaphysical community. Uh, so I came from a technology community originally, and that community uh, was uh, about cleverness and boldness and being able to solve problems mm -hmm. better and faster than you. <laughs> and and that was the way that their competition occurred. And as I've come into some of these metaphysical situations, uh, I've had a few times where I've had a reading table in an event. And someone will come up and say, yes, I'm a seventh generation witch. And I've, I had imaginary playmates ever since I was a tiny child that turned out to be spirits. And I see them everywhere. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're basically Malfoy, right? <laughs> and and uh, I go, well, you know, I got into this stuff to prove it wasn't true. And <laughs> going down the rabbit hole. Uh, and I can assure you, I, I, this is not my social conversation topic that I'm a seventh or eighth generation witch. <laughs> well, that is nice because I it's, just don't share it. It's just, it's just very um, well. And what they're doing is they're testing, they're feeling me out. It is just like that first scene with Malfoy and and in uh, the Philosopher's Stone. And the uh, the funny thing about it is, I, I don't understand what they think the competition is because once I opened the doorway it has not been a barrier for me to do the things that I am doing there uh, in fact I think it sometimes gives me advantages uh, because I do have to focus uh, just like someone someone who is a very natural singer who's just got the pipes and they can do it, then they aren't as aware of all the discipline that some people develop about breath control and, and positioning of the voice and diction and, and, and listening that had to be developed on purpose. They, they can't even tell you how they do that. The craft of singing, in other words. Right. And, and so technique develops an understanding of things that someone who is naturally talented but untrained never gets hold of. Now, if you get someone who's naturally talented and then train them on good technique, you have a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. Right? And hopefully that's what happens. Uh, but it, it was it was just intriguing to me the the sort of uh, sigh snobbery <laughs> that was there. <laughs> oh, and I am a ninth generation. That's right. You're only That's the seventh, right. So I, I am better than you. And and it's just oh, and and yeah. and I can see why someone. That's another thing that bothers me is you'll be in situations and you'll hear. Uh, experienced practitioners talk about the silly baby witches. 
right? As though they sprung fully formed from the forehead of Zeus with all their knowledge and power and experience, and they never ever did or said anything silly. <laughs> or, or you know, never, never applied themselves in an unwise way to their craft. Um, I think it's really important to uh, to help those people who are trying to form their understanding. With you know, in the past we couldn't get information. The books and the information were obscure and unusual and difficult to read, made purposefully so. And now we have the opposite problem. Uh, my understanding is that as soon as you've been involved in, in anything, especially witchcraft, for at least three years, you are now fully ready to start your school and publish your books and go on your world tour. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I, wish, I wish I could do that uh, because I, even though I am putting it out there to a degree, I still feel like I'm learning and that I'm never – I'm never going to figure it all out. Mm. Just never going to figure it all out. Uh, and I think it's important for people to have someone that can deal with them, not not be brutally honest, right? Because being brutally honest is all about the brutality. Uh, that's That's not the goal. But that can connect with them and guide them and mentor them or at least point them in useful directions have a have a real conversation with them about what they're trying to do and what they're interested in and how they might really achieve that instead of just putting a nose up at them mm. and uh uh yes. you know, that uh, that's not the the right approach Absolutely. I read somewhere that was long ago, many years ago, so I don't even remember the source, that the moment someone figures out how life works and, and what all this is all about, in that instant, everything disappears, the universe disappears, and it will start from scratch because... If there is nothing left for us to discover, then there is no purpose in this existence. Now, I am not saying this is right, wrong, or, or indifferent in terms of how I subscribe to it, but as a concept, I find this interesting. Well, and that gets a little bit into that sort of matrix idea. Um, and, and I don't completely disagree with that. Uh, there's some Indian philosophy that says we are we are someone else's dream, mm. and eventually they're going to wake up, and everything we we are and everything we know will go away. But I I think that when you talk about manifestation and a lot of my philosophy about magic and its relation to the world and its relation to me uh, is very thaumaturgic first. 
Uh, Isaac Bonowitz was one of my first authors that I came across that gave me an idea of how magic might work. Uh, as I've gone through my studies, uh, Alistair Crowley has ended up being someone that I unexpectedly connected with. Uh, a lot of his writing is very much about that idea of what happens as a manifestation of your will and that your intention and your application of your will is what is most important in the outcomes. And if you look at Crowley, early in his life, everything was very hidden, very occult, if we'll use that word. Uh, everything was intended to be obscured, and some of the things were metaphorical, and some of the things were sarcastic, and, and it was intended to be something that you really need to pay attention to all of it in order to understand. You had to work for it. You had to earn it. And then later in his life, the last two or three things that he wrote, his attitude was, everybody needs to be doing this. And it doesn't have to be hard. And, and you don't need to be special. You don't need to do anything special. You don't need anyone's permission. You can, <laughs> you can mm. just be doing this. Mm. And I found that, that my philosophy lines up uh, quite a bit with what I see in, in polemic philosophies. Um, but I'm like Groucho Marx in the, that I, I don't want to join a club that would have me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so I, I maintain my independence from, from a, a formal track, but I, I look at a lot of what those lures and pathways have to share. Mm. And, and incorporated. Yes. So is magic, witchcraft, occult, and quantum manifestations one and the same? So I think the short answer is yes. But they're all filtered through your own thoughts and ideas and understandings. So if you need to wear the magic shoes to do your magic, then you do. And no one can tell you otherwise because the magic shoes help. Now, personally, I think that you've reached levels where the tools that you use to create those vibrations, that the ultimate, the ultimate level, <laughs> you know, when, when, you, when you get enough experience points <laughs> to be a high enough level, uh, that, that it is all just pure will. Do so you go... This is what I want to manifest. You send it out there. You tuck it away, and it keeps it keeps transponding out there, and it comes to be. But that's hard. I don't do that. I think I do it a little bit sometimes. But for the most part, I like to have my sigils. I like to have my my ritual. I like to have my process there because... It helps put me in the right mode, in that right vibration, where I can connect with everything. But as you go along, I remember when I first started casting a circle, I had a thing that I read. And it was very precise. It was very flowery. Uh, and it was lovely. And now when I cast a circle, it's a little bit more pragmatic. 
And I don't need to be dressed in any particular way. I don't necessarily have to have an athame or a wand or anything like that. I've done it with incense. Uh, I've done it with, with just bare hands. And I just go to the elemental corners and I invite the elements and, and all that they represent to come and be here and witness and support if they will. And it just, I just do it. And I hit a point where I did not require that original ritual. I, I moved to a point where I was internalizing a lot of what that ritual did. Now, when you're in something formal where you're doing things with other people, there is nothing like having someone who goes and confidently and eloquently calls to the corner and just makes you go, wow, I just felt earth join us <laughs> <laughs> because of that storytelling, because of that theatrical nature. There's also nothing worse than being in a, a group ritual where someone goes and they say, I call upon the spirit of air to, <laughs> and, and they put nothing into it. Uh, the, 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 but, but that's about the nature of the conditions. What you do for yourself by yourself yeah. can be very simple, right? You and I can sit down and have peanut butter and crackers, and that's no problem. But if we served it at Christmas dinner, <laughs> <laughs> people might be confused. And, and, and there's something about that pageantry. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and especially when you're dealing with people coming at it from yes. different levels, that you've got some people who have done this. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe a few dozen times before, uh, and you have others who are coming into it for the first time, and their only real understanding of a magic ritual is what they saw in the movie The Craft and in the Harry Potter films. <laughs> uh, and and they get to be shown. That's one of the things I think the Catholic Church does beautifully is they have retained that old pageantry mm. and there are certain yes. clothes that are worn on certain days and there's this procession and bells and words and, and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of people don't realize yeah. that a Catholic sanctuary has candles in the cardinal corner. Yeah. It is a magic circle. <laughs> Uh, and they they are they are doing all of the things to work magic there, even though that's not necessarily what they call it. So so I think that that all of those things are very helpful to bring people into it. But then as a practitioner, you hit a point where you go, okay, that thing I was doing, it helped me understand, but it's really not necessary. I can shortcut that. I've already got that here, and I I think that ultimately. If if I evolved enough as a practitioner, that I wouldn't need to cast a circle, yes. that I would just be hanging out with the elements, <laughs> and and we just kind of nod to each other and they they do their thing, and I wouldn't even have to ask. Yes, we would just have an understanding. I have a difficult time picturing what that would be like. But, you know, maybe someday I'll write some fiction about it so that people can have the idea in their heads. Uh, we are made out of stories.
Would you like to learn how to meditate in theta, the optimum frequency you can have in a meditative state? By popular demand, I have created an instructional theta meditation package containing a guided audio meditation and an introduction booklet. It is a unique, one-of-a-kind resource that will help you achieve and maintain the elusive theta state throughout your meditation and will give you the important background information about theta meditation and this process. For more details, please go to the store on my website at quantumliving.com.au. Yes, absolutely. And one of the insights that I have received is about this topic is when you seek mastery, you follow the rules. Once you've achieved mastery, you don't need the rules, which I think is encapsulates what we've just talked about. I, I agree with that. Uh, and there's a, there's a tarot card. There's a little story that goes along in, in the, the tarot uh, for the pentacles. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little out of order in the way that they're presented, but we essentially see this person as an apprentice and and as a journeyman and as a master and moving on towards success and family and retirement. Uh, we see this story. And in my favorite deck, I want to say it's either the four or the six. I wish I had the cards better memorized. But in the Robin Wood deck, which is the one that I prefer, it shows... Um, uh, in, in the Rider-Waite-Smith, which most people use, uh, which is a beautiful deck, uh, it shows a man uh, with some, uh, some clergyman in a cathedral. And it looks like he's an architect. He's going to design something in there. And Robin Wood reinterprets that to show a man with his chisel and hammer, and he is carving feathers into stone. Mm-hmm. Now, no one can teach you how to carve feathers into stone. It's impossible to do, but the master somehow knows how to speak to the stone and knows how to do And he can't make a mistake. Whatever the stone does has to be. And if it doesn't do what he expects it to, he has to let it become whatever it is and work with the stone. And that's on that mastery level. And he couldn't explain to you what he was doing or how he was doing it, but he can, and he knows he can. And I think that is something that the Tarot shows, that there is that level of mastery where you move through all of these phases, and then you're you're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the teachings which influenced your work, as I understand, is the Kabbalion. Right. Could you talk to this? What is the Kabbalion? How did you come across this material? What role does it play in your work and teachings? And then if you could perhaps outline, I understand that there are seven key principles. Perhaps if you could speak to some of the key, most important principles. So the Kabbalion is weird. (laughs) It is a strange little book. Uh, it, uh, it is not a thick book, uh, so it's easy to get. It was written in 1908, so it's in the public domain, so it's available to everybody. It was written by the three initiates. Now, that's spooky right there, huh? These three mysterious guys, 
And it purports to be a book of ancient hermetic knowledge and principles. Mm -hmm. I do not agree with that. I think if you go into other hermetic books that have been written in the past, you can see that there, this is, this is clearly some new thought and they may or may not have known about ancient hermeticism Mm -hmm. uh, as, as evolved from Hermes Trismegistus, right? It's different stuff, but I don't think that matters. I think it's still good stuff. And it depends on how you look at it. The, the things that the book does that are very unusual is at the beginning of the tra- chapter, it will quote something. It will give you a little quotation. And we've seen a lot of books that do this. So it'll give you a little quotation. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you'll see it. And, and it will quote, and then it will say, the Kabbalion. The quotation it uses to introduce each chapter are not found any place else in the Kabbalion. So it's not like later on you're going to go through the chapter and you're going to see that phrase. You go, okay, yeah, I remember they highlighted that earlier. No, it's only used in that quotation at the beginning. Okay. So is there another Kabbalion that we haven't seen <laughs> that these are coming from? Are we looking at the at the um, abridged version or is, I mean, technically it's in the Kabbalion because that's where the quote is, but what a weird way to do it. And so there's a part of this where the author or authors, a lot of people feel it was written by uh, an esoteric uh, new age, new thought pioneer, uh, William William Walker Atkinson, who wrote all kinds of stuff, very interesting stuff. Um, But yeah, this is back in that time before we fully came into the new age where there was an intention of obscurity and an intention of mystery around that. And so, yeah, there's, there's window dressing there. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to take some pieces of the Kabbalion as they're represented with a grain of salt can't be too serious. You got to you got to look behind the theater of what's being told to you and recognize that this is style and character and 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 setting that they're creating for you and then look at what it is that they're telling you. Uh much like uh, uh people have gained spiritual knowledge through Star Wars. There are people who have taken on Jedi as their philosophy and they're serious about it. But it turns out that the Jedi philosophy is very sound, and it is based on historic principles of of thought and action. And so it works. But as a construct, it's completely fictional. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Do you see how I'm I'm drawing that parallel there? Um, Yes and no. Okay. Which is my favorite quantum answer. And the reason I say yes and no is that I hear what you're saying. But when I read those seven principles, to me, obviously, they are worded very differently. They are written in perhaps strange language. But in the context of the explanation underneath, they reflect some of the key quantum principles that we are all connected, that the universe 
is mind, which which is thought and intelligence. So I feel that they reflect the key quantum principles. I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. But what they purport to be in the introduction is not necessarily accurate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. These didn't necessarily come from Hermes Tris Majestus and were hidden away and passed down secretly until now we are able to reveal these to you. Okay. That's a little bit of the comic book going on there. And any serious student of Hermeticism will look at that and go, well, clearly these guys are idiots, Um, which is something that I've seen over and over again when I talk about my interest in the Kabbalion to people who consider themselves to be serious Hermetic historians, right? And so just as the principles of Jedi are solid truth, and if you follow those principles, it will do you good, even though you may never actually make a lightsaber. (laughs) The general concepts are sound, but George Lucas wrapped them up in this fantastic context. And so it's truth presented through fantasy. And that, that's something that, that I think someone who looks through the Kabbalion should bear in mind, because if you've done any kind of other esoteric research, there are things that they say that you go, well, no, that's, that's not the way that was. This is, <laughs> it's going to confuse you, right? <laughs> and so that's one of the things that I want to acknowledge right up front is, is that you have to understand that this was, this was sort of couched in in a in in a somewhat fictional context to make it easier to express. And since this is some new thought that's being expressed to uh, an older esoteric community, being able to describe it as something that was hidden away and rediscovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that <laughs> that allows people to go, okay, okay, yeah, sure, sure. Then it must be important. That's right. That's right. So is there is there any any particular community or I don't know secret society or any group of people who are using the Kabbalion as the the basics of their teachings and and their practices or not? I'm, well, I am sure that there are. I know that I use them that way uh, because I treat them like scientific principles, uh, and the. What I mean by that is if you are going to solve a problem scientifically, you first have to decide which principle am I going to apply? Is this, is this an equation about gravity? Is this a Newtonian motion equation? Is this something to do with thermodynamics? Which application am I going to apply here? And then you reach for that information and those equations to solve the problem. And the way that I look at the principles of the Kabbalion 
is they are lenses through which you can view various things that you're dealing with. Some number of them combine to create the secret, but the secret leaves stuff out, which is why if you are a practitioner and you read the secret, when I first read it, it was mind blowing. When I went back and looked at those ideas again, I went, uh, but what about, <laughs> <laughs> but as a, as a gateway to starting a manifest, not a bad idea but so much better when it's fully rounded mm -hmm. and you understand the other elements. Mm -hmm. And so I think that these principles are a good set of lenses through which to view things. And when you're trying to work something out, I want to approach something magically. Okay. There's pure intention. Yes. But the intention has to be correct. What is my intention? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? And that can get very messy. And I find that these ideas help me to confine my intention to something actionable instead of something like, I just want to be happy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That, that's so hard. So why don't we pop through them real quick? Mm, absolutely. And uh, anyone who's never heard of them, we, uh, we can give just a, a little basic insight and then we can talk more about how it applies and how it connects with everything. Uh, so number one is my favorite one. It's the principle of mental mentalism. Uh, uh, all is mind. The universe is mental. And this is something that I think is a core understanding that you have to have if you're going to connect with the magical universe is that your will connects with things and your understanding connects with things. What you think affects things. Thoughts become things. And if you change how you think about something, you change what it is. And that is a really, really important thing. And something that even if you're not a magical practitioner, that you have to recognize that all of your experience is filtered through your thoughts. Now, I've had some people try to talk to me neuroscientifically about this. It goes, no, 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 your eyeball directly puts a thing into your brain, right? But your brain decides what to do with that. Yes. Tell me something that you have seen without involving your consciousness. You can't. <laughs> and that is a fundamental understanding is that everything that shapes our thoughts shapes what we perceive how we exist, what we get out of that. And you have control over your mind. Absolutely. But you have to decide to control your mind. And so to me, that's the first threshold is recognizing how much you influence your own experience of everything. Uh, the second principle is that of correspondence. Uh, we recognize uh, this uh, as above, so below which we all say, but what exactly does that mean? <laughs> and it means that there's interconnectedness, okay? This especially goes into the quantum idea. Um, when you evolve ideas like quantum physics, uh, which the theories of quantum physics is that things are all happening on an energy level, on an atomic level, and that there are interactions that go on between ourselves and the universe and the things in the universe that don't necessarily track with our five senses. Uh, and it's very, very hard to wrap your mind around 
Although, when you start to look at things from a more magical perspective, it does make more sense. But you have to understand the interconnectedness of things and that, uh, that there are things that are directly, pull, uh, directly aligned with you. Like acupuncture, you stick a needle here, it affects there. But there, there are also these ripples that occur that come from us. And so we're sending things out, we're taking things in, we're connected to other things and are affected by them. And that is part of how it all works. Um, vibration is the third principle. And nothing rests, everything is moving, everything is vibrating. Uh, and science has discovered this. They've noticed that stones that we think of as inert, there's some kind of movement going on there at an atomic level. Stones are not still, uh, even though we cannot perceive that movement. Uh, and and it, it seriously messes with our minds to try and think about that. But for me, the big thing is about finding, choosing, setting your vibration, and just recognizing that, that you do have this resonance that's going on. And you're putting it out and you're taking it in. Um, one of the fascinating things is to be in a room full of guitars uh, or, or be someplace where someone has a harp and, and it's, they start singing. The wind will blow through the harp and it will vibrate a string a little bit. And then that vibration will hit and the harmonious strings with that string will start to vibrate and they get louder because they feed on each other. And suddenly this, this harp is just playing this weird chord of its own mm. and it's eerie, but it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I've also been in a room where there are a lot of guitars and someone started doing something and it resonated with some of the guitars and they began to vibrate and sing along with that. It's again, it's eerie. It's magical. It's wonderful. Now we can explain it scientifically, but that does not change the experience. It's just mm. so eerie to be in the middle of that. And so that's what we can do when we are trying to do things. When we're trying to do certain things, we need to attain a certain level of vibration. Yeah. Right. You drag yourself out of bed <laughs> and you're no good. And you have that first cup of coffee. If your coffee is the way that I make it, you probably are literally vibrating because <laughs> I like my coffee strong uh, and it, it changes your tone. It changes what you can do. Now, if you've ever had really strong coffee and you've been like a little jittery from it, there are some things you can't do effectively until you lower that vibration. Um, so, and, and that, concept of vibration goes with everything. It goes with your interconnectedness with what you're doing, how you interact with people, uh, and how you interact with the universe in a magical way. Um, and, and recognizing that you can change your own vibration, you can match vibrations, be in harmony in vibrations, or try to adjust other people's vibrations in harmony with you other things vibrations in harmony with you. That's a, that's a powerful knowledge there. Maybe all I need to do is chill, lower my vibration, and this will, this will not be so intense.
polarity. This is a big one right now. And this is one of the things that really started me on doing more of the, the coaching kind of stuff that I am doing. So 2016, we had this weird thing happen in the United States. There was this wealthy real estate guy that was a reality TV host that became president. <laughs> and I remember getting up the next morning and I heard the words President-elect Trump for the first time by a serious newscaster. And I went, huh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and of course, we've, we've all been, uh, we've all lived through that experience. Uh, and I remember at the time, there were a lot of people that were really upset, really panicking about things. And I was not. And I think for me, it was very much about vibration. I was not uh, I was not in circles where that vibration was raised. Uh, I mean, tangentially, I knew a lot of people, but I wasn't inundated with it because I was keeping to myself for, for some things and just not always surrounded by folks. Um, but the other thing that, that I had going for me was that understanding of polarity. And one of the things I think people mistakenly do when they encounter something like that kind of whack energy as they want to destroy it, they want to eliminate it, right? All of these bad actors that we're dealing right now across the world, they just need to go away and never have anyone like that exist again. Godzilla must be destroyed, <laughs> right? The problem is the polarity doesn't allow that. You can't have a Bernie Sanders without a Donald Trump because they are the opposite poles, and you can't have you can't have the good things that you want without their polar opposite. It's always going to exist on somewhere. And if your goal is to eliminate it, you're going to pour all your energy and all your effort to that, and you will always lose. And that will frustrate you. And it will it will depress you. It will make you feel like you're never going to win. So what do we do? We just forget about it? No, 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 no. It becomes about balance. When the poles are out of balance, then something is wrong. And you find that balance where everything evens out. And you find that that opposite that is so bothering you becomes irrelevant because it can no longer affect you. It no longer has any kind of widespread effect, right? The, the person that is now on the streets shouting and, and throwing their weight around is now sitting in their backyard with a can of beer with a couple of his buddies saying the same hate, but not really able to do anything about it, all right? Because there's the balance there. That's when, when you have that. Now, that one's hard. Because we don't, we, we want it to go away. We want it all to turn into love. But that may not be possible. And if you're all, if you're trying to completely eliminate something that you oppose, you're, you're going to struggle <laughs> and you'll probably never achieve it. And what else could you have done with that energy in a more balanced format that would, would really make positive changes for things? 
So that one to me is a big one. We're very polarized right now, but we're trying to swing our end up. And we got a level. We got a level. That that I think is is a really big, big thing. Um, and uh, the next is the principle of rhythm. Rhythm uh, uh, is about cadence. Everything moves out and in. Everything has its tides. Uh, when you look at anything, uh, when you do your editing of our show, you're going to look at a waveform and you're going to see something that goes up and down, which creates that sound that people are hearing there. Um, and we have to understand that there is rhythm. It's connected with vibration. But it also means that there are seasons. We have our uh, now, uh, I believe you're in Australia, aren't you? Yes. And I am in Texas. We are just now entering into our fall season. You are entering into spring, if I understand. Yeah, we are in the middle of spring. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're both getting allergies at different <laughs> points. <laughs> right? uh, it's, it's just different stuff. That's um, the commonality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the other one's going to come back around. The wheel of the year always turns and those cycles are there. That rhythm is there. And so when you have the upbeat, there's going to be the downbeat. And this, I think, is really, really important as a practitioner um, that you do make use of what the rhythm is at that point. And you understand that the rhythm continues. The drum continues to beat. And so what is not successful for you in this moment doesn't mean it's done. Because that wheel is going to continue to turn, and that moment's going to come back. Um, but also, that you have to participate in the rhythms. Uh, I'm one of those people that carries Halloween in their heart all year round. <laughs> in October, people catch up with me, <laughs> right? But but while mm. while a lot of people are are celebrating Christmas, I'm still kind of thinking Halloween. Okay, but I have to, I have to flow with that rhythm, and and I I I got to be right there in the Christmas season with everybody else, uh, and the same for all of the seasons that come around. Uh, and I'm talking secular right now, um, uh, even though Christmas is a is a, a holy day, um, uh, it's it's a very secular sort of a thing the way that we experience it on planet earth right now it's it's really about shopping yes. uh, it's a time you have to go yeah. buy something is it christmas time um but but i recognize that i need to be sensitive to that and when i'm looking at the wheel of the year one of the things we talk about on witch hat chats is what the sabbats are what the current celebrations the current periods are on the wheel of the year and each one has a different theme to it, has a different focal point to it. And I've started to really appreciate that flow from the building of energy in the spring to the waning of energy in, in the fall and the, and the resting of energy in the winter. Mm -hmm. So that we can we can build it back up again. I mean, it, it flows so well with what magic is, mm -hmm. and if you can use those points and feel that rhythm, 
and know, okay, right now I'm not sure what to do with this, but coming up there is a time of the year that is the perfect time to focus on that. And by the time I get there, I am going to be ready to deal with this. Mm. And, and always it's, it's looking forward. The rhythm doesn't end. Mm. And that, that I think is, is an amazing thing, but it, it's, it, it can be a challenging thing. Two more principles to go. Principle of cause and effect. This is a big one. This is not everybody's favorite one. Uh, every cause has its an effect. Every effect has a cause, right? Things have implications and they have sources. And that is true for what you do. Uh, some people talk about the, uh, the Wiccan read uh, or the threefold rule, the tenfold rule, depending on how, how strict everybody is. And that's the idea that whatever you send out is going to come back to you threefold, right? Therefore, you mustn't curse anyone because that's just going to, uh, you know, when, when you point at someone, there are three fingers pointing back at you, right? <laughs> uh, that kind of idea. But I think mm -hmm. that's a misapplication of it. Uh, I think that what that means is you have to understand that there are effects to what you cause and you have to own them. And if you feel like something is so dangerous that you feel that something is so offensive that it needs to be challenged, you have to become a warrior and draw your sword and stand up against that thing while the weaker people are behind you as you defend them. Well, you should you should do that. Yes. You shouldn't go, oh, but I might get hurt. No. If, if you feel that warrior spirit and you need to defend, you can't be worrying about yourself. you got to do it. But there will be consequences. Mm -hmm. And you have to know that there will be consequences and accept the consequences, but understand that it is worth mm -hmm. it. I am here in this place for the reason I am doing this to protect those that are weaker than me. I will do it. Damn the consequences. Yes. If you're there, then, then you're going to do what you need to do. And hopefully you're right. Mm. Hopefully you're not coming from some sort of emotion or, or something like that. Hopefully you are really defending the right people. Because every supervillain knows they're doing this for the greater good, right? <laughs> we don't like to think that we might be the villain. Uh, but sometimes we are. And I guess, I guess we're all someone's villain, um, whether we like it or not. Um, but there's nothing you can do to protect yourself from the consequences. Mm -hmm. So you need to do things on purpose and with purpose. But also, you also need to recognize that when you have things that you are trying to deal with in your own world, something that you need to get out of there, that you need to cleanse or rebalance or whatever, it comes from somewhere. Something is creating that, and it has to be addressed. And that's where a lot of shadow work comes in and, and all of those kinds of things mm -hmm. where, yeah. where we earnestly and honestly look for what is causing this thing, and then what am I going to do about it? Or do I accept it? Do I reframe what I understand about it and turn it into something that is just part of my world? In winter, it looks like the trees die, but we know that they don't. So we 
we don't have to be sad for the trees because we know this is their time of rest. And then that changes everything. Um, so I think that's a big one. And it's, it's, it's basically uh, own your stuff. <laughs> and that's where we leave our enchanted conversation with soul for now. We will continue it on the next episode of Quantum Living, picking up from the seventh principle of the Kabbalion and chatting about so much more. So make sure you tune in. That's all for today, folks. If you enjoyed this show, please post a review on Apple Podcasts to encourage others to listen to it and lift the spirit across the world and the universe. For the show notes and contact details, please go to my Quantum Living Podcast on podpage.com. I'm your host, Anna Anderson. Thank you for listening. I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Quantum Living. Until then, be well.